Beyond Infinity. Welcome to Beyond Infinity. Piers Cunningham with you. I'm joined again by lecturer in information systems at Torrens University, Dr. Ian Storey, and also Guy West, who is a professional share market investor and international master in chess. Just going back to risk, and something I thought that was, is interesting, well, we've touched on a little bit with gambling, but there's a guy down in Tasmania who's built a, a world-famous art gallery in Hobart called David Walsh, and he's part of a gambling syndicate. I think it's called The Bankroll. He accumulated a, a you know multi-million dollar art collection and then engaged a very well-regarded architect called Fender Katsalidis to build this monster sort of half underground museum and paid for it with with his, you know, supposedly ill-gotten gains, or some might say ill-gotten gains. They, um, they weren't ill-gotten, though. They, they were... Um, they I'm were saying that a bit... A bit mathematical um, sort of attacks on uh, horse racing. Just an example of someone who who really kind of had the insight and had the mathematical prowess to to be able to, you know, quite confidently make massive bets and things on things like horse racing. Apparently, you know, during the construction, he was short, you know, he needed $15 million quickly to keep the construction going and meet deadlines. This is back in early 2010. He just put a massive bet on the Melbourne Cup and, and won and, you know, here's the money, keep on building. He's got some books and I've re- I actually read one of them. I think it's called A Bone of Fact. It's kind of autobiographical. It gives you a few little hints into his his gambling systems, which, look, I didn't fully understand, but it's about this very precise and accurate assessment of risk and sort of working the very small percentages which are able to be worked, but having you know a lot of money behind you so that those those small percentages add up to millions and millions of dollars. That's right. Yeah, Australia's produced a number of very, very high net worth professional gamblers. Probably the most famous one, although he's fairly reclusive, is Jelko Ranagazic, who made hundreds of millions of dollars out of different computerised attacks on things like horse racing. Also, he even managed to find uh, vulnerabilities in some poker machines and things like that. He, he also attacked um, certain types of lotto, yeah. ones which have a jackpot, which, I mean, m- m- usually when you play lotto, the odds are, are very heavily against the player, but the ones that have jackpots, after a sufficient amount of time, they will sometimes go temporarily positive for the players. People like Jelko Ranagazic attack those um, lottos with you know, massive buying sprees amounting to tens of millions of dollars. And I, I think uh, on one occasion, it went spectacularly wrong when he won the, um, or his syndicate, uh, either won or shared the win in the um, California state lottery. Yeah. But the authorities didn't want to pay up because because <laughs> they, they held they held every combination, uh, you know, every numerical combination. So they... They, they had to win, and the uh, authorities said, "No, that's cheating. It's not. Uh, it's not in the spirit of the game." And they wanted to withhold his winnings. Uh, I think he was. I think he was going to lose money anyway because uh, a couple of other people won as well. Yeah, you know, had, had the winning um, combination as well. But um, uh, yeah, if, if he hadn't been paid out, I, th- I think it ended up being settled somehow. But. Uh, well, he's he's an, he's an, he grew up in Tasmania, I think, or he went to uni in Tasmania with David Walsh, and, and and he he's they're kind of partners. I think they work in the same in the same syndicate. Yeah, and there was another guy, William Benter or Billy Benter, who also made hundreds of millions of dollars, but he went to Hong Kong so that he could get higher levels of turnover. Uh, so yeah, he needed. A racetrack like Happy Valley in Hong Kong, you know, in order to um, get get the sort of depth of turnover that he needed. Uh, so yeah, Australia Australia punches above its weight in terms of um, you know very smart professional gamblers. Mm. Guy, just on the subject of gambling, and you've mentioned a couple of things which which have been targeted by the likes of the bankroll or 
this professional gambler like like David Walsh or his partner Zelko Ranagajic. I'm not pronouncing that very well. Yeah, Ranagajic. Yeah, Ranagajic. What sort of games are best avoided by people at casinos and which ones are, are worth spending time trying to nut out? Uh, well, you've prayed into an area that I do know a fair bit about because I own a, a website called smartgambler.com.au. Right. And it, <laughs> it talks a lot about the uh, mathematical underpinnings of different forms of gaming. So, um, first of all, you tend, to get, um, you tend to get better odds at casinos in games where where you, there are decisions to be made, so games like um, blackjack and so on, cases where the odds depend upon how well you play the game, you tend to get overall better odds. So, for instance, a game like blackjack, where the decisions of the player actually have an effect on their return, those games you'll, you'll generally uh, get slightly slightly better odds than you would playing a fixed return game like roulette where no matter what combination of bets you place, you will always have the same fixed disadvantage. So um, the worst games tend to be, in casinos at least, tend to be things like the big wheel, uh, any kind of sort of lotto type games or fruit machines, you know, poker machines. They tend to return horrible odds. There was a time when the fruit machines were mechanical and there was a bloke who worked out in the US, worked out how to time them. Uh, yes. Human timing is really precise. And he actually sold... They banned him from the casinos because, of course, it was unfair, right? Because he was just making jackpot after jackpot. And he started selling the technique. Um, and then they had to invent new randomizers inside inside the machine. Yeah, games that I was talking about, um, I'm assuming that um, it's just an ordinary person who hasn't figured out some kind of technique for changing the odds in their favour. Like, for instance, a game like Roulette, where with the single zero, you've, you've got a 2.7% disadvantage. You, you can actually turn the odds in your favour by either extremely high levels of skill where you learn to to naked read the drop of the ball in, in other words you without wow. using any kind of machinery you you learn to be able to tell as the ball is juddering around in, in the circle which area it's slightly more likely to end up in and there, ha- there have been people who have been who've been so skillful that they were capable of doing that wow. that that of course would turn the odds much more in your favor and you might even get a, a long-term edge yeah, it must be just an edge, and it would be extreme. Because I no, thought you were no, going. But even even a very small edge um, can, can make you a you know a huge amount of yeah, money because yeah, you I'm just sure. get very low. Yeah, yeah. Stakes all time. If you keep but, going um, and going, yeah, yeah, and and of course, if if you're if you're including cheating, then um, you know you, you could have a um, a device <laughs> yeah. in your shoe, which yeah, you, know, you have a you know, something that monitors the spin of the wheel. It goes down to a little computer in your shoe and. Um, you know, and, and into your hidden earphones, you know, comes a, a little signal that tells you, you know, to bet on a particular group of numbers that they're more likely to come up. Uh, that can give you a massive edge, but of course, things like that are illegal. And if you get caught doing it, um, you, know, you could potentially yeah. facing jail time. Well, I thought uh, you were not, going not to mention in some countries you might lose your head. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I thought you were going to talk thing. about the doubling up strategy. Yeah, yeah, the that's martingale a, system. Uh, that's really that's really hard to prove that it doesn't yeah. work. Um, it's hard to mathematically. Prove it, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it it definitely doesn't work. But it it's actually um, the proof of it is quite difficult. Yeah, it might be it, difficult mathematically, um, but uh, it, it's um, it's not too difficult to disprove if you want to if you want to spend a few hours at the casino. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and actually, there's, there's a, there are great uh, roulette simulators online mm. where you can you can go um, and and you know set it for a million spins or whatever, and it will do it in the blink of an eye, and and you can set whatever parameters you like. And one of the things you can do is set it for the martingale system, and uh, you you find out you you can watch in real time what what would happen, uh, <laughs> like. It'll sort of go right. That's after five thousand spins, you're actually slightly ahead. After ten thousand spins, oh, you come back to 
even after 20,000 spins, you're down this much and up for a million spins. Oops, there goes your fortune. <laughs> so what? can you give me an example of some of these websites? Because it sounds like a really interesting thing to do to simulate what, what might happen in a, in a casino environment. Um, have you got a website you can share with us, Guy? Um, I, I, do, I did have a link to one of the roulette simulators on my website, smartgambler.com.au, but mm. I, I, don't, I don't remember off the top of my head the URL of um, the site that I went to to, to play around with it. Uh, I, what I suggest is you just Google um, roulette simulator yep. um, online or, or free roulette simulator. Or alternatively, you could you could put um, Martingale Martingale system simulator, and you'd you'd probably find them. Okay. Uh, one, one might one might sort of um, disappear, and then another website springs up showing a, a simulator. So um, the, the one that I went to may not exist anymore, but there'd be other ones. All right. But, um, yeah. So the the games where you have the best chance of, of legally getting an advantage. Are ones where where there is actually some skill on behalf of the player, and it's the only game I can think of off the top of my head. Well, actually, there's two at casinos. Is the main one is blackjack, where if you use correct what they call basic strategy, which is the mathematically best way of playing, mm-hmm. you've only got you've only got a very small disadvantage. Like if you if you know that you know you should always um, hit on uh, soft tip. 16 against the dealer's ace and, you know, decisions like that. You, if you memorise about 50 decisions, you know, like if you've got 10s against the dealer's seven, you should always split them. But against the dealer's ace, maybe you don't or whatever. Mm. Actually, you do. But, um, yeah, anyway, there's a whole bunch of decisions that you have to memorise. Once you've memorised them, if you play that way, you reduce your disadvantage to somewhere in the vicinity of half a percent. I can't, can't remember exactly what it is. But then... If you master the technique of card counting, which is a way of determining how many high face cards are left in the deck compared to the low value ones, like mm. so how many tens, jacks, queens, kings and aces are left compared to the, the low ones, you can actually turn the odds in your favour. It's not actually illegal, it's just... Um, they don't like you doing it. Just Sorry? They don't like you doing it. I think they'll kick you they, out. They, they don't like you doing it, and they, they will they will um, stop you from um, from playing eventually if they if they know that you're a card counter. They will also, without stopping you playing, make it pointless. Like they'll restrict you restrict you to minimum bets. Or yeah. um, <laughs> uh, and, and and I mean the whole the whole point of it is that if you know that the odds are in your favour, that's when you raise your bet to a much higher level. And then when the when the count goes bad, you you drop them back to a low level. So um, if you are forced to only play minimum bets all the time or flat bets, and you can't vary the the bets, then your your edge from card counting doesn't exist. The casinos have lots of ways of dealing with card counters, and they and they've become quite experienced at doing that. Unfortunately, yeah. however, blackjack still the um, the best guy. Best casino game if you play it well, and, and the I, second best is um, is baccarat because um, you can also card count at baccarat, which a lot of people don't realise. Oh, I didn't realise. Right, of course you can you can, you can sort of um, card count in a much less obvious way, like just just keep a count of how many aces have come out and things like that. That can minimise your disadvantage so that you can probably play for quite a long time without losing too much. Brief aside, and I'm just remind everyone who we're listening to, we've got Guy West, professional share market investor and international master in chess, and also Dr. Ian Storey, lecturer in information systems at Torrens University, talking about risk and gambling. We've, we've strayed into gambling, which I think is, is fascinating. Apparently, there are Baccarat players in, in uh, Las Vegas who are so good and, and, have, and, and have got, whether it's systems or just expertise, experience, that you can you can effectively invest with them, I believe. You know, you can you yeah, can that, sort of open an account with them. For sure, you, you can't get an edge against baccarat um, just by by playing skillfully without card counting. You you would have to have some kind of knowledge of which which cards have already gone and uh, what's more likely to to come up next. However, you you can play baccarat 
with with a higher level of skill without card counting and, and only have a small disadvantage. So, um, you know, those games where you only have a small inbuilt disadvantage are the ones which really lend themselves to that little bit of extra, little bit of extra help from card counting or some other trick, you know, to get you into uh, an advantage situation. Mm-hmm. And once you have an advantage, then even though there might be very high variance, uh, once you've got an advantage, you should be able to make a huge profit from it um, just simply by um, yeah, managing your bankroll carefully um, so, so that you eliminate the risk of gambler's ruin. Yep. Can we talk a little bit about insurance? Because this is another area where risk and probability are assessed and, and money is made. Insurance companies are... They're, they're often very uh, wealthy organisations and they build up wealth over, you know, over decades. Again, it comes back to a comment that you made in some email exchanges we had earlier, Guy, about mathematical illiteracy being a problem for people. And, um, yes. and, and you know, not if, if that can extend into, well, obviously, if you go into a casino without, without an awareness of just how badly things are stacked against you, that, that can be a, an example of it. But also with insurance and certain types of insurance being a bit more almost a scam than others in terms of people not realising how, how their premiums have been wasted. Yeah, it's a, it's a massively important area because this impacts almost everyone in, in their in their real lives. It's, um, it's not just a theoretical thing. Um, yeah, it, insurance is one of my um, or or the uh, what I would call over insurance is um, one of my pet hates. Uh, the a, a lot of people feel like they they have to insure everything that, that it's the responsible thing to do or, or, or they feel very uncomfortable if they haven't insured everything. What they have to understand is that, as you said, insurance companies make a huge amount of money. So when you when you pay to insure something, you you are not getting the odds that, that reality dictates you should get. Your insurance dollar is also paying for salaries, for profits for shareholders, for other people's insurance fraud. Uh, if you're an honest person and you're not going to try and rip off your insurance company with a false claim, you're, you're paying for other people's fraud. All these things have to be factored in by insurance companies. Mm. So they have to make their profit, they have to pay their employees, they have to factor in uh, fraudulent claims where they pay out when they when they didn't have to, even though they've got you know very good anti-fraud uh, techniques these days, there'll still be some that get through. Yep. So, say for instance, you want to insure your stamp collection for a hundred dollars. That is to say, if you if your stamps get stolen, you, you are paid a hundred dollars, and the insurance company um, charges you one dollar to do that. That means that the chances of your stamps being stolen should, in theory, be around a hundred to one. But because of those factors that they have to make their profits and pay employees and so on, the, the, the real chance of your stamps getting in, you know, stolen might be a thousand or two thousand to one. So you you are getting abysmal odds, far worse than any kind of gambling game or um, you know share market proposition or whatever. Far worse yep. from the insurance industry, and you have to understand that. What and what that means is. You, you shouldn't just insure things because everybody else is doing it or because you, you feel like it's a responsible thing to do. You should only insure things that you absolutely need to insure. In the past, I would often have absolutely nothing insured, no health insurance, no house insurance, no nothing. The reason being, I didn't have anything that was, that, anything that would basically destroy my life. You know, if it, if it got um, stolen or destroyed or whatever. Um, yeah. We're lucky in Australia because we have a health system where, um, you know, if, if, if you need, for some reason, you know, a million-dollar uh, life-saving treatment, you will get it through the public system. It may not be ideal. You may not get your own doctor, etc. But but they won't let you die just because you, you know, you haven't insured yourself. Mm. So the, the issue then becomes, are there things which in your life 
would would sort of ruin you. And for most people, it's their house. It's most people uh, yeah. a very large percentage of their net worth is invested in their house. So there are good reasons for insuring your house. You 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 could be wiped out basically if, if your house is destroyed. It could destroy your life. Almost everything else it becomes much less clear. Now you you obviously need to insure against. The, the old scenario of running into somebody else's um, Porsche or Mercedes or whatever, or, or injuring somebody and being up for millions of dollars. That, that's what third-party insurance covers, and um, there are insurance policies which, you know, cover you against uh, any kind of, you know, horrible um, causing an accident, which then causes another accident. You're up for millions of dollars. But for things like ensuring the the value of, of a say a twenty thousand dollar car most people will not be ruined by by simply say having their twenty thousand dollar car stolen and the premiums that you pay are, are giving you absolutely appalling odds yeah. appalling odds yeah. you, you're, you're you're paying far far more than what you should according to the probability of your car actually being stolen so this is the thing that I think people don't put enough store in. They they don't they don't think it through carefully, and they end up they end up taking pet insurance and this and that, and you know they insure all sorts of small items. Like when they do their home uh, their home or their house insurance, they also take contents insurance. Mm. You know, in most cases, the contents of a house are not going to wipe somebody out. Mm. You know, you, you lose your TV and you know this that and the other. It's, it's sort of nice to know that these things are insured, but you are being absolutely, you know, you, you are going to lose in the long run taking it out. So it, it's something that definitely should be given more consideration. And I think often people don't think of it in those sort of hard mathematical terms. They think about it emotively. Yeah, that's right. And, it's, and that's where the insurance company has a kind of an advantage over the casino. Both are playing with people's emotions. There's the adrenaline that a gambler feels that keeps them at the table or keeps them doubling up or going to the ATM, which happens to be located in the lobby and, and, and taking more money to, to throw in. That's a psychological process. But with insurance, that's it's playing on fear. It's, it's playing on what would happen, Absolutely. what if, what would happen, you know, show a, you know, show a few reels of extreme weather events and cyclones hitting and yeah. you know beach erosion or whatever it happens to be to kind of justify it in people's minds but it, it again it's 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 relying on an emotional response rather than a, a purely unemotive logic-based decision-making process yes actually could i could i tell you an interesting little story um uh, about um insurance that might might sort of illustrate what we've just been talking about mm. um when i first um set up my website smart gambler me and my business partners, um, uh, one of the things we were doing is we, we hired an expert um, handicapper for the AFL football and to promote our service, which we're no longer doing. Um, uh, actually, it was Stephen Clark, Professor Stephen Clark, the guy that um, uh, actually built Pinhead, the famous um, AFL tipping computer that Lou Richards used to butt heads with, uh, or he used to call it Tinhead anyway. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So we, so we had this AFL tipping service which we wanted to um, promote and um, we decided it would be, it would be a good idea to, to do a million-dollar tipping competition. And this was before um, Sportsbet and other bookies got hold of the idea. It, it was something that we, at the time, came up with. At the time, there were 16 AFL teams and the idea was that people would have to guess before the season, the exact finishing order of the 16 AFL teams. So, first of all, we had to calculate the probability of, um, of, of this actually happening because we were going to have to pay out a million if somebody got it right. Mm. And we didn't have a million. So, we, we, we calculated um, what the probability was and um, it, was, it was, you know, vanishingly small that anyone would get it right. However... We then had to calculate in the fact that it's not completely random. Uh, some teams uh, tend to be good every year and other teams tend to finish down the bottom every year. And then there's a little bit of upward and downward mobility. 
So we had to sort of try and work out how much that was and so on. In the end, we, we, we assigned a value of, of sort of half randomness and half, you know, they tend to stay how they are. So doing all those calculations, we came out with a figure that I think was somewhere in the vicinity of six or seven billion to one against if, if there was just one person doing the tipping. So then we, we extended that to, um, you know, what if we got 10,000 entries and so on, and we did all the math. Anyway, the the the, the end uh, product was that um, I think we got it down to around about a billion to one chance that, that anyone, if, if we if we limited ourselves to X number of entries, I think it was 10,000 or something, there was a, you know, something like a billion to one chance, or it might have been two billion uh, to one chance, so very low. So then I looked around for a, um, a boutique insurance company who would insure us against the, um, the million dollars being won by someone. And I found a company who said, yes, we, we, we do those kind of um, you know, proposition bet insurance contracts. Hmm. And they got their mathematicians onto it and they worked it all out. Meanwhile, um, uh, our guys, because uh, I had a number of uh, mathematicians in my company, our guys worked out that the, the correct objective amount that we should be paying, if you leave out all those factors of them having to make a profit and you know all the stuffing around they're doing, so on, we worked out that the policy should cost somewhere around four to five cents, it was. It was about yeah. four or five yeah. cents. Mm. So <clears throat> we thought, okay, so they've, they've got to stuff around, they've got to make their profit, they've, they've got to cal- calculate in the, the risk that there'd be some kind of fraud although you can pretty much eliminate that by using, you know, different methods and so on. They've got to sort of pay their employees and all that sort of thing. So we thought, you know, maybe the insurance policy for a, what should be a five cent insurance, you know, might be, you know, a thousand dollars or something like that. Anyway, have a guess what the quote came back at to, to insure the million dollars when um, something like a billion to one chance. A thousand, a thousand bucks? No, no $30,000. Yeah. What? $30,000, okay, mm. to, to insure against what was, you know, an eight-figure an eight figure probability of it not having. Mm. So it, it just gives you some idea of, of, of the enormous, you know, kind of profit margins that are built in for these mm. insurance companies. So mm. it's no accident that companies like QBE and, um, and IAG and so on are, are giants. On the on the Australian share market, they yeah they, they are mathematically making such such huge margins, and I mean you, you could argue that they have to do it because they're now insuring against all sorts of kind of act of God type events, yeah, bushfires, yeah, you know, major floods, fires, and so on. Mm. However, the way they do that is by just giving you way way under what the what the odds really are. So. As I said, on, on big items that can ruin your life, like your home, by all means, you, you need to be able to sleep well at night and so on. But for smaller items, some families would be you know, horribly impacted by just having their family car written off or whatever. But a lot of people could absorb that and, and sort of carry on and go, oh, that was very unfortunate, but I've saved far more than that over the years by not taking out the insurance. And, and that's my approach. I, I don't insure things normally um, that won't wipe me out. Yeah. The other thing that was suggested to me once was if you if you feel you've got to insure something, then just set up an account and be disciplined about it, but don't give the, a company the premium. Work out what the premium would be and, and put that money into your own account. So, you know... Absolutely. And, and you would come out way, way ahead doing that. Um, it's definitely a much better way to go because then isn't paying anybody's salaries. It's not going into profits for the mm. insurance company yep. and it's not going into other people being fraudulent. Yep. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. It comes back down to how you lower your gain to reduce the chance of, of disastrous loss. Yep. So if you have a lot of small um, bets, 
there's no, you know, and you add them all up and they're independent. So that was the thing about the different teams. They're not independent, the different uh, AFL teams. That's right. But, yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a working out the probability there is different, but it's the same principle. But when you have these big, big bets, so I asked students, would you bet 50% chance that you lose your bet, you pay four bucks, or you gain um, nine bucks? And, you know, um, they say, oh, no, I wouldn't take that in a lot of cases. But that's a really, really good bet, um, especially if you just keep playing it and keep playing it. But if you have the same, if you just multiply it by a million, so four million compared to nine million, mm. there's a 50% chance you're going to lose absolutely everything. That's right. There aren't really many theorists who, who point this out. And that's where the big difference is, is that, the large chance of loss, you're taking a hit with the insurance that's bigger, but it's worth it in that case because the large chance of loss is, is actually real in your in the outcomes that you can have. So you can lose your house. Yeah, you know, that, um, that's a very good which point. Is, yeah, which you're, is actually the example I use with my students too. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah, talking about variance. The concept yeah. of variance is very important. That um, It's all very well... Um, saying that something gives you a mathematical edge, but but if that edge is so small that the the edge is only realised after you know a million spins of the wheel or whatever, then there's a very very good chance that at some point along the way you're going to be a long way down. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in, in, in real life you may not be able to afford to have a million spins before you you, you realise your very tiny advantage. Yeah, yeah. I mean the, the saying is variance is a bit, well, I'm not saying it's misleading, but it, it creates the impression that there is a solution. Um, there's not. It's, it's how much risk you're willing to take in order to um, make the average gain really high. Yeah, no, all I'm you, saying you're is, dropping that, your, is that in real life, um, variance. Um, no, I know you're not saying that, but, yes. but, but there are people who make it sound like it's mathematical with variance. Yeah, no, um, some, some, sometimes it, uh, that's right. Well, exactly. not, not it, that it can mathematic. be mathematically correct, but it, in real life it can be a bad decision. And that's well, why I think what things I, what like insuring, is, yeah, insuring your house, for instance, I wouldn't advise people not to do that because yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, you know, if it can destroy your life, then uh, you, uh, you you don't mind paying your $1,000 a year, even though you're getting horrible odds because, you know, it, the, the $1,000 you lose isn't going to make a big enough difference to, to be so, so you're, got, you're saying guy in essence you're saying don't bother insuring anything that isn't absolutely vital to you well pretty much I mean it, it's it's still, it's a personal decision because um, there are other factors that come into it like like um, some people wouldn't be able to sleep well at, at night or it might cause friction between the two partners in a marriage or something like that so you know you, you have to factor in other things but, yeah, essentially I'm saying that every insurance policy you take is bad value. And so the the less of these bad value deals you do, the better as a general principle. However, there, there can be specific things that um, that impact on that. Like, um, yeah, as I say, it might cause friction in a marriage or it might, um, it might mean that you're walking around in a state of constant fear or whatever. But just, you just have to understand that if, if you are insuring something because you're scared not to, that you are paying a lot of money to assuage that feeling of fear mm. and, and, and understand that that's what you're doing. A lot of people just don't realise mm. that they're getting very bad value mm. with every insurance deal that they make. Mm. Yeah. But by the way, there's an interesting area of um, betting which involves um, proposition bets. A lot of bookmakers used to take bets on things like whether aliens would make contact with humans within the next 10 years and that that offer odds like a thousand to one you know odds which sort of sound really generous yeah. and uh, of course you know the, the, those odds uh, well i mean you, you can't tell whether they're generous or not but I, i'm almost certain that, that odds like a thousand to one on a, on a bet like that are absolutely horrible odds so that that kind of um, exploiting the fact that there are some nutty people out there. It is interesting, though, in that case, because with most things that are insured and with the casino, 
mathematically astute people know exactly the odds or, you know, within a few percent if you're talking about insurance. In yeah. that case, yeah, in that case it's interesting because there are no odds. There is the, uh, the Drake equation. Yeah. The chance that there's yeah. life in, on other planets. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's true, and, and I was, I mean, this tight, it's a, it's a very good point Ian makes, because with insurance, I mean, how on earth would you work out the chance of you crashing your car, or how would you work out the chance of you having some weird illness that's, you know, never been heard of in your family before? I think that's one of the issues that a lot of people, most people would have with insurance would be, how would you actually assess, how would you make the calculation to know that it's not well, worth the, the price that you're, you're being asked to insure for? Well, they, well that's a good point, but luckily, luckily the insurance company does that for you. It's easy to tell because whatever the because they're profitable that they offer you mm. is going to be, you know, a, a very, very large um, order of magnitude <laughs> higher than what it should be. So, um, it, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, the answer is if you if you work out that that by paying um, by paying a thousand dollars you can insure a hundred thousand dollar house, um, then you you can be sure that the odds of your house actually being destroyed, you know, if you, if you take it as one of all the millions of houses in Australia, uh, are going to be um, you know very very much um, lower than what those odds appear to be telling you. Mm. I mean, uh, the answer, though, they do know because of actuarial tables. Pretty close. Yeah. So the, the statistics on, on that is, is pretty well worked out. That's right. No, they're doing the work for you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're doing the work for you. But um, your guess as to what ratio it is is, is another thing, yeah. They, yeah. They, they can get it wrong with things like these proposition bets, like the aliens one I mentioned. Uh, uh, a very yeah. good example is... Um, a lot of apparently a lot of proposition bets that bookies take are on uh, people wanting to bet that their their son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter are you know, going to be famous in some area uh, because you know people dote on their children mm. and uh, it's very funny because every now and again there would be a family who has a, a you know an offspring who is clearly precocious in some particular area and the the bookie isn't privy to that piece of information uh, so um, there was a funny story about um, a, a Welshman called Peter Edwards um, I think he was about 62 years old and he was going to retire um, in another year or something when this happened but many many years beforehand he placed a 50 pound bet with um, I think it was William Hill in, in uh, the UK uh, he, he placed a 50 pound bet that his 18 month old grandson uh, Harry would one day play for Wales, play soccer for Wales. And um, the the bookie um, gave him 2,500 to one odds, which would appear to be very stingy odds because, you know, it's not like one in every 2,500 Welsh kids ends up playing for for the national team. It'd be, you know, more like, um, you know, one in uh, half a million or something might. But um, uh, anyway, um, apparently this guy had noticed that his kid was, you know, even by the time he was walking, he was already playing obsessively with a soccer ball and sort of doing all these things with it. So anyway, he placed this bet and uh, and the kid ended up being the youngest representative for Wales. I think his name was Harry Wilson, the kid. Uh, so he, yeah, he got a £125,000 payout on the, on the day that um, Harry Wilson debuted for Wales. And uh, he announced that that was it. He was retiring, um, <laughs> retiring early by one year. <laughs> but that's assuming yeah, that the, so there the, are stories a, like that where bookies do get it wrong because they just don't have some piece of information. Inside um, information, yeah. 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 Like, well, like one of these days, a radio astronomer is going to, um, you know, take that thousand to one dollar bet after picking up some signals. Yeah, yeah. picking up some, uh, <laughs> yeah, someone from Stenty is going to pick up a signal and uh, they'll cash in very nicely. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's assuming in the in the case of the, uh, the 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 boy who became the football player that that uh, the, the 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 bet is still on it that the the bookie's still around to to make the pay. Well, that's true. Payout. Yeah, yeah. That's that's another part of the risk factor, isn't it? I guess that when you when you take a, a long dated 
call option or a long dated put option or a, or a long dated um, proposition bet, you you have to also factor that risk in that, that something might change. Like, um, you know, there might be a um, you know a global holocaust of some sort, and uh, you you are parting with the money now, and you're only getting paid out, assuming that conditions you know. In, on the planet and in your and in your life and everything are still roughly the same. Yep. So if the bookie goes broke, then things have changed and uh, yeah, no, no Yeah, there's a, there's a funny example. Um, we were talking about uh, the Mona, the Museum of Old and New Art, and David Walsh, the guy who um, owns it in Tasmania, and he has a um, a bet with a French artist, and and it's about when the French artist is going to die, and. That's right. And what he's he's got this sort of room devoted to this particular project with a live video feed of the artist studio in France, and you can any time you go in there, you can literally see these closed circuit TV cameras sort of up in the ceiling showing you this guy in his workspace, and then behind you on a wall is DVDs of every day or however long the DVD records for it might be a week, but but every week has got its own DVD and it's catalogued on these shelves behind, you know, and then there's there's extra room for new ones that have yet to be, new days or weeks that have yet to be recorded below that. And um, the artist who's, who's cooperating with this sort of project or this bet, if you like, um, he describes David Walsh as a devil because he says only, only a devil will, you know, makes a bet that he knows the outcome of. <laughs> yes, very interesting. I think um, that's an example of David Walsh's sort of flair for um, yeah, being you know, weird, sort of dramatic. And, yeah, uh, that's why he owns a gallery of uh, very, very interesting and dramatic. Oh, it's artists. a marvelous, it's a marvelous gallery, really marvelous. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, my wife and I went there once and uh, had a great time. Yeah. Can I make just a couple of points? Sure, go, Ian. Just, just really quick. Uh, one is I've had a look at Smart Gambler web at the Smart Gambler website mm. while we've been talking. It's really um, quite good. Uh, the Martingale system is covered. Blackjack strategies are covered. It's really, really quite interesting. Thanks. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, it's uh, it's dot com dot au. I think there's also a, just a smartgambler dot com or something like that. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah. Our one for the Australian one. Yep. Yep. Also, when I originally was talking to, to Guy, um, Guy said to me that he, he definitely wasn't going to be offering advice. It would be just a discussion and question and answer. And I really respect that, you know, for someone who's 40 years been in that business. And I, I found it was a really friendly conversation. I was online looking at uh, Cold Fusion, one of the Cold Fusion YouTube he, he, He's an Australian guy who does these documentaries, and I thought they were pretty good. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, um, Kyle Pierce. Have you heard of Cole Yeah, Pierce? yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, um, well, I have as a, as a kind of a scientific sort of um, nirvana or as a, a, a thing that you'd love to achieve, but... No, but, no, yeah, this is, no, no, this this is, is a, a different thing altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is another guy called Veritasium. Yes. Um, he's really good, really yes. good. Uh, but... Um, uh, so he was talking about Bitcoin and he was talking about how there are, there are now opening up trading areas which speed up Bitcoin, but they break the rule of Bitcoin that it has to have distributed trust. It has a, you know, this particular part of it in order to speed it up, it's centralized. And anyway, anyway, I was making some smart remark yeah. about <laughs> how this actually broke the rules of Bitcoin, you know, and, and I just left it at that. And then I got a response from someone who couldn't have been, it couldn't have been the actual, the, the guy who does the doc, documentaries or does the, um, the speech behind the documentaries because it was, it was misspelled and it was broken. And uh, it was broken English, not necessarily from overseas, but it was just, you know, not good, not well expressed. And they were trying to pitch to me um, investment um, advice. So, you know, when you get on online, there are sharks everywhere trying to pitch you about investment advice. You, you, you display a little bit of interest in one thing, mm. 
and then they're right on top of you, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and and what's interesting, you know, with, with Guy, there's absolutely none of that, but there are so many sharks out there trying to do that, <laughs> and there are a lot of people playing on people's fears. Yep. So there's, you know, they're rushing for for gold and Bitcoin. Um, you know, whether those fears are rational or not, they're, they're playing on them. And they're, they're selling, they're selling advice, and they're selling products. Um, yeah, and often, happening. often you don't even know that that's as, as you say, you don't know that they are. They've definitely um, got a, a you know vested interest in um, promoting a particular story, and so you know people will accept somebody as a guru without realizing that the worldview or the you know the kind of scenario that they are championing. Uh, actually furthers their own business. So you'll have, you'll have sort of doomsday gold buggers who yeah. Yeah. You know, are actually, um, you know, uh, selling a newsletter or something. And, and yeah. so the more... And it's, it looks like it's just one guy, but it's actually yeah. a team of people. Exactly, yeah. And, and um, you, you, you sort of, if you take it on face value, you think that you're just getting their unbiased opinion, but actually yeah. they might have a vested interest in making things seem more... Um, you know, sort of uh, apocalyptic and um, exciting and so on than they really are because that, that actually helps them to sell their newsletter. To sell their product, yeah. 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 And so you just have to look at all really, this. It's a really unregulated area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look at all the people trying to, you know, rip um, pensioners off with cold calls yeah, and yep, and yep. people trying, you know, saying, oh, look, we've, I'm calling from Microsoft. You've got a problem with your computer. Can you just log in and um, give me access and then I can sort it out for you? All this sort of stuff is is rife. And unfortunately, a lot of people fall victim to it. Again, it's again it's that same sort of pitch that, that gambling or insurance has it's playing on psychology and and what what's identified yeah. and and you actually talked about this Ian in a previous recording we, we did about um about you know cybersecurity and yeah. and how yeah. how that's a major part of uh, just like a, a real world attack you know I think you gave actually, me some examples from actually, RMIT. After listening to you after listening to both you guys it's a classic social engineering isn't it yes really? yeah social engineering attack yeah yeah so talking with um, Dr. Ian Storey, lecturer in information systems at Torrens University and also Guy West, a professional share market investor and international master in chess. Gentlemen, we've, it's a really interesting conversation. We're, we're sort of getting towards the end of it now. Just some closing remarks from you, if you, if you don't mind, about you know the, the sort of overview of what we've been talking about on, on risk, evaluating it, the difficulties with evaluating it, the issue of mathematical illiteracy in the general population. I think um, one thing about the whole area is that it's a very emotionally fraught area. Mm. You know, whilst, you can, whilst you can sort of measure risk in mathematical terms in many situations, there are lots of other ones that become very sort of subjective and personal. I think earlier on I mentioned things like risk-taking behaviour, such as parachuting or bungee jumping. Mm. I've often done things like that, and people say, "Oh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to take that risk." To me, things like that can't really be measured in in mathematical terms. It's more what's the emotional upside for you compared to the risk. So. If somebody only got a small amount of pleasure out of, say, for, for example, riding their motorbike out through the countryside and the hills, then it may not be worth the risk. But if somebody got a huge amount of pleasure out of it and found it very de-stressing and so on and so forth, then it might be worth the risk. Yep. So therefore, you know, people who, who just go, oh, that, that's too risky, they're not really putting it in the right reference frame, in my opinion. Yeah, there's, but, um, there's different categories of risk, aren't there? There's definitely exactly, different categories, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, then, but then for things like you know, financial investments and so on, you can get into a more hard-headed mathematical frame of mind and, and go, look, I think nine times out of ten, this decision will make me X amount of money. The tenth time, it would probably lose me X amount of money and when I do all my sums, I, I work out that now it's a bad risk or whatever. Uh, and I think that's completely valid in those sort of situations. But it's almost like there's two separate areas. There's, there's just personal 
risk tolerance in, in general life, and then there are areas which are, are much more govern, governed by mathematics, like, in, for instance, in, in gambling and things like that. I, I would agree with you completely that um, there is a, a regrettable level of general lack of knowledge about probability and the whole area of managing risk and understanding risk and so on, and that people are fairly oblivious to a, to a lot of the the sort of mathematical underpinnings of things like insurance and so on. And, and I think it, it could probably be taught as a much higher priority in school. Mm. Uh, even if people aren't doing you know, high-level mathematics, I think every person should have some understanding of probability theory and, and understand basic things that, you know, chance has no memory. And those sort of absolutely fundamental things about probability that so many people seem to ignore. That's a great saying, isn't it? Chance has no memory. Yeah, mm. really good. We can't all be making mathematical judgments of risks in every decision in our life. It's just absolutely impossible. Mm. Um, yeah. However, it has been shown that psychologically, most of us tend not to take enough risks. You know, those small ones that when you do them 100 times, you actually advance. People feel losses so so heavily and, and they, they get downtrodden over a single loss. So we don't take enough risks. Having said that, I think it's quite rational to look at um, developing some kind of hedge in my, in my stock portfolio. <laughs> um, you know, being uh, self-centred about this. But I, I think in terms of people make, making decisions in their own lives, it's those big risks where you can lose everything, including your stock portfolio or your bank account, mm. where you know you need to be a bit careful mm. and you need to take out that quote-unquote insurance. Yep. Agreed. But, but what a great idea of teaching it in schools. Really good idea, teaching yeah. decision-making in schools. Yeah. Well, that that's, takes us back to the very beginning because I, I did ask you, why does this matter? Why is it important to understand risk? And one of the first things you said was it's decision-making. How do you make a decision? And that's weighing up advantages and disadvantages, which is, which is weighing up probability. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great conversation. I appreciate you guys talking. Uh, Dr. Ian Story, lecturer in information systems at Torrens University and Guy West, professional share market investor and international master in chess. Hopefully, uh, we'll have another chance to do another chat like this because I, I well, really enjoyed it. Hopefully, too, it'll be in person. That would be wonderful. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's, it's not it's quite the same thing, is it, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. good. It is. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.